writing my own uh, personal mission statement for my life. And in the process of doing that, the Lord revealed several things that I knew I needed from God every day. Now, this is an exhaustive list, but this, uh, what we're going to look at from the scriptures tonight are uh, some elements that ought to be involved in your prayer life every single day. And, uh, you know, there really are some things that in our lives that we should do every day. For instance, you should comb your hair if you have any, okay? Um, and I'm not criticizing you bald guys, okay? Uh, Brother Bill Prater, who will be here later this year, he, he's the one that told me, uh, uh, you don't put a marble top on cheap furniture, okay? <laughs> and uh, so there you go for the bald people here. But anyways, comb your hair every day. You ought to brush your teeth every day, all right? Some of you'd say you need to shower every day. Some of you don't do that, all right? That's fine if you don't. But there's some things you ought to do every day, and there's certainly some other things that you ought not do every day. Uh, I heard the story about a, a mom who came to a doctor and wanted to talk to the doctor about her, her daughter's strange eating habits, and she told the doctor all she does is eat yeast and wax all day. What's going to happen to her? The doctor said, well, at the very least, eventually she's going to rise and shine. That's a corny joke. I'm sorry, okay? That's not even worth repeating. <laughs> but uh, some things you shouldn't, you shouldn't do every day, too, I imagine. But out of the many things that we ought to do daily, I'd say the chief of them is prayer. We ought to pray every day. And Jesus is the one that taught us uh, this principle. In Matthew 26, we're going to see how this is true. Of course, uh, we'll get to reading the text in just a minute. But in Luke 18, 1, Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray, not to faint. All throughout the scripture, there are many places we could go where the Bible teaches us the principle that prayer ought to be a daily and a regular part of our life. Uh, just a couple examples, Ephesians 6, 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication, uh, uh, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The Bible tells us to pray always. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Be in a continual state of prayer. Don't stop praying. But Philippians 4 and verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving. And God told us to pray about everything. And if we're going to pray about everything, certainly it's something we ought to be doing every single day. And so the Bible does teach us the principle of daily and continual prayer. And I propose to you tonight that prayerlessness is the reason that many Christians struggle in their daily walk. Not that they don't have the power, it's that they're not tapping into the power that has been provided to them. Understand, the power to live the Christian life is not within, not, not, that does not come from us. It comes from God. God has given us a means by which we can access that power, and the means by which we can access that power is prayer. That's why God says, let us come boldly into the throne of grace, that we can find grace and obtain mercy to help us in time of need. Not that the grace isn't there to help you with whatever you're facing. Not that God's mercy can't be provided for whatever you're facing. A lot of times it's that we are not going to the throne to find it and to get it. And uh, that is a big reason why we struggle so much in our Christian walk. D.A. Carson, he said, a prayerless person is a disaster waiting to happen. Just think about that. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Prayerless Christian. Sunday, I'm sorry, Billy Graham, 
he said, uh, he, was, he was always noted for saying, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And we wonder why we, our witness is so weak. We wonder why our Christian living is so weak. <clears throat> we don't pray. That is the source of our power. And so in our text today, what we're going to see is that Jesus enters a place called Gethsemane. And what a sobering place that is for us that understand what took place there. The Garden of Gethsemane. And here he's in Gethsemane with his disciples. He knows very well that in just a little while he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be forsaken by all those around him. In these moments, he looks at his disciples and he asks them to pray with him. Asks them to continue in prayer with him. And I want you to notice what happens in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse number 36. The Bible says, Then cometh Jesus unto them, or then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Asking them to be in a watchful state, an alertful state, a prayerful state. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. He saith unto Peter, Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time. Prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Sobering scene we see taking place. Jesus, in what is arguably the most difficult moment of his life on this earth, asks for prayer support. The men who are supposedly the closest to him, he's weeping, he's obviously burdened, he asks them to watch with him, he asks them to pray with him, and yet every time he comes back from a Difficult season of prayer. A season of prayer where the book of Luke actually tells us he sweat as it were great drops of blood. That's how intense this season of prayer was. Comes back and finds his disciples sleeping every single time. The first time he wakes them up and says, can't you just pray with me for an hour? Comes back the second time, and presumably he tries to wake them up again, but when he comes back the third time, he tells them, go ahead and just sleep. Jesus sits alone. I don't know how long it was. Jesus sat alone in those moments as he was waiting for the caravan of people with Judas Iscariot to come and take him away to be crucified. I can't really imagine what that must have been like. I can say I do know what it's like to be alone. There have been seasons where I probably wasn't alone, especially as, as much as Jesus was in this scenario. I can't imagine being this alone. The people that supposedly care about you the most. 
Here's the sobering thing about it. And there's a lot of things we could pull out of this and a lot of things we could preach from this. Jesus told those disciples to watch with him and to pray. And it wasn't just for him. It was for them. Jesus knew what was coming. The parallel passage just before this, Jesus had warned Peter. Peter, Satan has desired to have you so that he could sift you like wheat. Jesus understood something about what was about to happen in his life and in his disciples' lives that they did not understand. And so he encouraged them to be watchful in prayer. They did not heed his counsel. And what happened as a result of that? Verse 56, the end of verse 56. The Bible says, then all the disciples forsook him, fled. Could they be so weak? Did Peter just tell Jesus not too long before? Oh, I should die with thee. I will not deny thee. I will not forsake thee. And so said all the other disciples. They had no power in the hour of temptation. Why? Prayer. And that tap in to their source of power. Take you again to the words that Jesus gave to them, exhorting them in verse number 41. Told them, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can want to live for God all you want to, but you do not have it within your fallen human will. Live for God as you should. The only way you can live the Christian life as God intended for you to is to do it in the power of the spirit of God. I say to you again, the way you access that power is through prayer. And that is so important for us to understand. And now, as we think about these truths, I really believe there are two reasons here Jesus told us that, uh, that we need to pray. I want you to think about this with me. The first reason, we need to pray to invite the presence of God into our lives. We need God's presence in our lives. If we're going to see any type of answer, any type of victory in our life, what we find happening for the disciples here is that these disciples were sleeping Instead of seeking God's presence, instead of seeking God's throne. And uh, this was an indication that they did not find it needful to invite God's presence into their lives. Why? Well, they didn't know what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming. They didn't know what was coming. Jesus told them, you better watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. He knew what was around the corner. They did not. And so they chose to sleep instead of seek the Lord tell you something, Christian. You start falling asleep spiritually, that's when you're going to start getting in trouble. And uh, we need to beware of that. I'm not saying it's wrong to sleep, okay? We all need sleep. I'm talking about falling asleep spiritually, right? And uh, growing apathetic, we could say, in our spiritual walk. It's a dangerous place to get to because you better believe it, as long as we walk in this sin-cursed world, we are going to face troubles and trials and temptations. And there's no getting around those things. And so when we don't pray, we are neglecting to invite God's presence into our lives. When we don't pray, we are neglecting to listen to the voice of the one who gives our life purpose and direction. And without God's presence in our life, we elect to find our own way in life. That is the most dangerous of all the factors. So we need to pray on a continual, and I dare say a daily basis, because prayer is our way of inviting the presence of God into our lives. Now listen, how would your life change if when you face temptation, you stop trying to do it on your own, 
and you start inviting God's presence to enter that room with you, enter that place with you, enter that hour of temptation with you. How much different do you think your life will be if you learn to access the presence of God in the face of your troubles and temptations in life? I dare say your life will change significantly. Learn to invite the presence of God into your life. And the truth is, on any given day, all the forces of evil are present to fight against us, and they are working to cause us to fail. You better believe they are present in this world, and they will often be present in your life. We need God to be present to help fight our battles, because we're not strong enough to fight them on our own. I'm glad the Bible still says in Psalm 46, verse 1, that our God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You're in trouble, Christian. God can be present to give you all the help that you need. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And so we need daily prayer to invite the presence of God into our lives. But I'll say this as well. We need daily prayer to invite the power of God into our lives. We don't only need God's presence, but we need God's power. How much did we just sing about in that song, Teach Me to Pray, Lord, needing God's power? It is uh, an intricately... Uh, connected uh, part of prayer. We pray to access the power of God to face uh, whatever it is uh, that is going on in our life. Now, in our story here from Matthew 26, these disciples we find were relaxing instead of relying on the Lord. We're coasting, we could say. We're trying to take care of a deeply spiritual issue in their own strength and in their own power. And uh, we see this was an indication of where their hearts were at at this moment. They were relying on their own strength rather than God's strength. And uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but listen to me. When you don't pray, you are essentially telling God, I don't need you. I've got this. In your heart, you say, well, that's not what I believe. Actions speak louder than words. You need God whether you realize it or not. I think we can all agree on that. But how often do we live our lives going about as if we don't need God? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We look at an atheist and we criticize an atheist for believing there is no God. We have a whole bunch of atheistic Christians today who go about their life as if there is no God. And if there is a God, they don't need him because you don't talk to him how often we're guilty of the very same thing. Prayer is a way for you to access the power of God for whatever it is that you may be facing in your life. Prayer is an admission that without God, you can do nothing. God, I can't do it without you. Go to John chapter 15 with me in your Bible. Veer off a little bit here, but John chapter 15, Jesus taught us this very, clear, very clearly. In John chapter 15 and verse number on 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing without God. He is our source of spiritual power, our source of spiritual nourishment. And it's only in him that we can find these things. And we can look in other places, but it's only in him that ultimately we can find these things. And so prayer is the way for us to access the presence of God. Prayer is the way for us to access the power of God. Therefore, we ought to make prayer 
daily part of our life so that we can have God's presence and we can have God's power as we go about facing the various circumstances of our lives. And as I've studied this truth, uh, for me, there are five um, prayers uh, that in understanding I need God's presence and I need God's power in my life every day, I don't want my heart to be filled up with other things that keep me from enjoying the presence of God, from living in the power of God on a daily basis. So out of a heartbeat of learning to watch and pray as Jesus has commanded us to, uh, I want to give you just, these are very practical prayers that I pray every day. And as I said, when we began this series, the thing that God used Brother Payne to, to uh, challenge me with is uh, one of the reasons why God's people don't pray as they should is because they don't know how to pray as they should. Now, I want to encourage you with this. Even if you don't think you know what you're supposed to say, the Spirit still intercedes for us with words that cannot be uttered. And it uh, reminds me of uh, the story I heard about a boy. Um, a man walked by and heard him praying at the altar. And he was praying A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And he kept repeating the alphabet. Five, six, seven times he repeated the alphabet. And then he said, in Jesus' name, amen. He got up and the man asked him, what in the world are you doing, son? The boy said, well, I didn't know what to pray, so I just prayed all the letters of the alphabet a couple times, and I just trusted that God had put it all together the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> I don't advise that, <laughs> but, and I don't know if that actually happened or not, but the point is still the same. Even if you don't pray what you're supposed to pray, God knows your heart, okay? Don't let that keep you from praying. As I have grown in, grown in the Lord, these are... Uh, five prayers that help me every day get my mind and heart attuned with the Lord and being able to live in the power of His Spirit. The first prayer is this. I pray, Lord, empty me of self. Empty me of self. Now, we're going to go several places in the Scripture here tonight, so hang with me. The first place I want you to go is Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9 and uh, verse number 23, I, we, we read this this morning. Jesus said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That word is significant. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We need to make a choice daily to forsake ourselves and to follow our Savior. Lord, empty me of self. Now, why is it so important every day of your life that you get emptied of self? Well, this is a, a doctrinal subject we won't be able to cover uh, uh, as, as deeply here tonight, but let me summarize by saying that the Bible has a lot to say about our self-nature. Uh, it refers to our self-nature as the flesh. You'll often hear it uh, referred to as the flesh in the Scriptures. And the Bible makes clear in Romans 7, that within our flesh dwells no good thing. There's not a thing that's good about our sin nature, about our human nature. The Bible also demonstrates that there is a war that is raging between God's Spirit within us when we get saved and our old sin-cursed flesh. 
Galatians 5.17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul said in Romans 7.19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. I wonder if you can identify with this war that the Bible tells us about. You've lived very long as a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, it's not, a, uh, uh, not an enjoyable experience necessarily. And that is one of the reasons why daily we need to be emptied of self. And so the question remains, how does one go about being emptied of self? And uh, this is, again, a doctrinal thing that we need to understand. The Apostle Paul, I believe, gives us the answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13, just three words, he said, I die daily die daily. Very similar to what Jesus said, let us take up our cross daily and follow him. Paul said, I die daily. Funeral, very sobering thing. I remember one year, several, several of you weren't here for this, I think it was five or six years ago, our theme was not I but Christ. We brought a casket in for a sermon that day. I've never been criticized so much in my life. Probably not my brightest point either, okay? A person dies, they cease to exist. They cease to control their own body and their own life. The point I made when I brought that casket and the point I'm trying to paint in your mind today is that you need to have a funeral every day. The person who needs to get put in the casket is you. Lord, see me of self. What Jesus prayed, by the way, in Gethsemane. Jesus prayed, not my will, thine be done. Speaking as a man, as a man, he didn't want to go through the suffering that he was about to endure. But God, he, as God, he said, thy will be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And every, every day, that needs to be our expression to the Lord in prayer. Now, theologically, if you've been saved, your, sin full flesh, your sinful flesh has already been put to death. Okay? So practically, or, sorry, theologically speaking... The prayer, Lord, empty me of self, is really just acknowledging what Jesus has already done. But practically, um, we still struggle with this old, the habits of this old sinful flesh, and we need to make an acknowledgement every day that my old man has passed away, and God is living inside of me, and I'm not going to listen to the old, the old self-nature any longer. I'm going to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God in my life, because I'm alive in Christ. And that's why I pray the prayer, Lord, empty me of self. Don't let my old self-nature rear up its head. Don't let me live today in my own power, in my own strength, trying to get it all done by myself because I can't do it. Lord, empty me of, of self. And uh, so the challenge the Scripture gives us is to die. Die every day. You need to have a funeral as you start every day. Let God take control of your life. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. You might write this down somewhere. Great verse. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he said, I'm crucified with Christ, and yet I live. But it's not me living. It's Christ that's living in me. That's the essence of this prayer. Lord, empty me of self. Prayer I pray every day the second one. I pray, Lord, empty me of self, and then I pray, Lord, cleanse me from sin. Lord, cleanse me from sin. 
Now, I want you to go to John chapter 13 in your Bibles with me. John chapter 13 in your Bibles, because I believe there's a very beautiful picture that's painted for us in this passage. And again, I don't have a whole lot of time to elaborate it, but John chapter 13. And uh, in verse number 10 of John 13, if you're there, say amen. In this passage, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And uh, um, when he goes to wash Peter's feet, uh, Peter doesn't want to have anything to do with it. In verse number 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Um, now, in, in Jesus' day, uh, it was a custom for, for people to bathe at a public bath and then return to their house. And uh, as they would walk to their house, they did not have shoes like we have today. They had more, uh, more along the lines of sandals. And as they would walk to their house, they did not have many paved roads in those days either. Um, their feet would become defiled. And so uh, at many, many houses, there would be a place to wash your feet as soon as you came into the doorway. And what Jesus was speaking about is if you have been fully washed, you come home, you don't need to wash anything else, your feet. He was using a tradition that they would have been familiar with. And for Peter in particular, the, the picture he was painting is that, that spiritually, if you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have been cleansed of all of your sin, you don't need to be cleansed again. All right? Jesus died for our sin once for all, and it was taken care of. All right? He's saying he that has already been washed need not be washed again except for his feet. And the fact of the matter is, as we walk through this sin-cursed world, every one of us, every one of you can identify uh, along with, this, uh, with me as well. We are blood-washed sinners, totally forgiven. Thank God for his blood that was shed for us. And yet as we walk through this sin-cursed world, time to time, we can feel the defilement of it upon our lives. And uh, there's sometimes I just have to turn on the news and I feel dirty after it's over, all right? All the nonsense that you hear going on. But let's be honest, it's not just out there. We struggle too. deal with this matter of sin. And though we are forgiven of our sins, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, um, there is still a need on a daily basis to seek the Lord for uh, a purifying from this, uh, from this sin. And so at salvation, you were cleansed from all of sin's guilt by Jesus' blood. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And boy, when you confess your sins at salvation, God was faithful and just to forgive you of all of them and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's a miracle of salvation right there. But now, uh, beyond that day of salvation, you need cleansing daily from the defilement of this world. And the Bible makes very clear that that cleansing takes place through the washing of God's word. And uh, here's what happens. And I don't have a whole lot of time to convey this, so let me just summarize. <clears throat> As you seek the Lord in prayer and you read God's word and you walk through this world, a lot of times... God, through his word, and sometimes it just speaks to your heart as you're praying, will bring up something in your life that needs to be dealt with. Something in your life that, that you, uh, as a believer, uh, need to get out of your life. Right? For believers, the New Testament is very clear 
that God still calls believers to repentance. If you start going the wrong way, you need to turn around and start going the right way. Uh, we, we often refer to it as revival, and it's still something that we need as believers. And so every day of your life as a believer, you need to approach the scriptures and approach the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, is there anything in my life today that would keep me from walking with you? Just be honest. It's like it was in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, what do they do? They hid from God. No, we are forgiven of all of our sin. When we're walking in sin, that is still our tendency, not want to talk to God. Right? Um, that's just part of who we are as, as, as human beings on this side of eternity. So we need to seek the Lord daily to make sure that there's nothing that's going to keep us from coming into the presence of God. Uh, and by the way, from God's side, there's nothing keeping us. The veil has been torn. We keep ourselves from coming to God in prayer because of not dealing with the elephant in the room. And uh, we convince ourselves not to come before the presence of God because of not dealing with the sin issues that are happening in our lives. And so that's why I say every day I pray, Lord, would you cleanse me of sin? I like how the psalmist put it in Psalm 139. You might write this one down as well. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see or prove if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Every day of my life, I want, to, I want to give my heart and my mind as an open book to God and say, Lord, if there's something that shouldn't be there, let me get it right. Cleanse me of my sin. Today, my heart can be pure. My life can be a vessel fitted unto your service that you can use for your glory. Lord, empty me of self. Lord, cleanse me of sin. Here's the third th tr prayer I pray every day. Lord, deliver me from Satan. Deliver me from Satan. Now, go to Matthew chapter number 6 in your Bibles with me if you would. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 6. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. A little bit of a different type of message. Um, but, uh, boy, the Lord has used these truths in my life so much over the past several years, and I hope they could be a blessing to you as well. Matthew 6 and verse number 13 in the Lord's Prayer here, a model prayer which we will study more extensively later. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13. Jesus told us to pray and lead us not into temptation. Read the next phrase out loud with me, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from Satan and his work. You understand as well as I do that there is a very real, brutal force of evil that we face on a daily basis in this world. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 reminds us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We think that our issues with Biden, all right? Uh, we think that our issues with a man. We think that our issues with whoever we want to point the finger at, Okay. And we keep wanting to point the finger at new people because new people get in the office. And we want to blame, blame all of our troubles on flesh and blood. But the Bible says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I believe that if God were to pull back the veil that conceals the spiritual forces that are at work in this world today, it would terrify us. Listen. Angels and demons aren't some fake pie-in-the-sky thing. They are, real, they are real 
uh, creations of God, and of course the demons are fallen creations of God, but they are real beings that are at work today, and uh, there are those forces in this world that are out to get you. Satan has desired to have you, you that he could sift you as wheat, Jesus warned Peter. Peter 5, 8, we're warned to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Throughout the years, I've often had people tell me, well, I don't think the devil ever waste any time on me. Fool. You're a fool. Yes, he will. It's the whole reason why he's here. It's a victory on, a victory on his books if he can get you to trip up. Every day, we need to be equipped for the spiritual battle. I'll tell you something. If you're trying to walk through your day in your own strength and power, you will not be equipped for the, for the spiritual battle. And even as I pray the prayer, Lord, deliver me from evil, as the Lord told us to do in the Lord's prayer, along with that, you also need to ask the Lord to equip you with his armor. Ephesians chapter 6 is where the Bible talks to us about this. We'll come back and study Ephesians 6 more, more later. But here's what I want you to get from Ephesians 6, the main thing I want you to see in Ephesians 6. Why don't we just turn over there real quick, because I want you to see this. <clears throat> I think there's so much, so much misconception um, about the spiritual armor. So let me just summarize it. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong. And what's the next three words? In the Lord and in the power of His might. And I, I, was, I remember being taught when I was younger, when it, came to be put, when it came to putting on your spiritual armor, well, you need to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And I, I was taught to believe that all of these things were... Um, separate from Christ. The idea of what the spiritual arm, armor is is that they're all different facets of your identity in Christ. Standing in the truth of Christ that has made you free. Putting on the righteousness of Christ, that guards your heart feeling condemned. That guards your heart from being led astray. You're putting on the, the helmet of salvation knowing that your head is secure because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You're taking up a shield of faith every day. Faith is taking God at his word. And even when the devil tries to shoot his lies at you, you're telling God every day, I'm taking up my shield of faith, Lord, and I'm going to trust your word no matter what the devil tries to throw at me today. No matter what words he tries to throw at me to bring me down or to get me to give in the temptation, I'm trusting your word. And that's all about what the spiritual armor is supposed to be. We're standing in the Lord. And so even as we pray, Lord, deliver me from evil, we are praying at the same time, gird me about, Lord, with your armor. Let me stand in your truth. Let me stand in your righteousness today. Uh, let me have my feet uh, uh, my stand, my walk through life secured with the gospel of peace. And uh, on down the line, you pray and you put on your spiritual armor so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle. Deliver me from evil. I'll tell you, many, many battles that you face in life are faced unnecessarily simply because you didn't equip yourself before you ever got to the battle. Right? You didn't have your spiritual armor on. You're standing in your own strength instead of standing in the Lord and in the power of his might. And uh, I guarantee you there's some battles the devil doesn't even fight when a Christian prayed. The devil can keep you from praying. He'll have a heyday with you. The Christian that prays, the Christian that accesses the power of God, the devil will hardly, will hardly deal with such a person. Right? That's why you need to pray, Lord, deliver me from 
Satan. Hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's what the Bible says. And, and get your power from the Lord in facing the daily battles of life. Lord, empty me of self. Lord, cleanse me of sin. Lord, deliver me from evil. And the next, uh, deliver me from Satan. And the fourth prayer I pray is, Lord, sanctify me from society. Sanctify me from society. Go to John chapter 17 in your Bibles with me if you would. To see what Jesus taught us to pray by his example in John chapter 17 in verses 16 and 17. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And read verse 17 out loud with me. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It was Jesus himself intended that those who believe in him and follow him would be set apart for the world. And when we use the word sanctification here, that is what we're talking about. The word sanctify means to set apart. And uh, every time it's used in the context of our spiritual life, it is always, talked, it is always uh, used to refer to our being set apart unto the Lord. Uh, now, God has made it very clear in his word that he wants us to be sanctified as his people. Um, and, of course, we understand that uh, spiritual sanctification begins um, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are set apart. We're saints. We're the set apart ones. We're the sanctified ones. All right? And that's not a progressive thing. That's a permanent thing. All right? Like this room, we have permanently dedicated to being a sanctuary, dedicated to the Lord. Um, even more so, our lives are that when we get saved. And yet, as we live our life, God wants us to sanctify our lives more and more to God's purposes, and for God's glory. Um, and uh, from the moment you got saved, there were some areas of your life that weren't the Lord's, and as you grow in your faith, God wants you to grow in turning more of those areas over to the Lord, right? A lot of people, when they got saved, they struggled with different habits, they struggled with different vices, and as God helps them grow, they grow in the matter of sanctification. They grow in the matter of turning areas of their life over to the Lord. Now, on a in a practical sense, here's what we do. You might start your day off saying, God, I need you today. And you might put your spiritual armor on and, and uh, uh, seek to cleanse your heart before the Lord as you begin the day. But then you get in the day and you go to work and all they want to talk about is politics. And you go to work and all they want to talk about is sports. And all they want to talk about is the things of this world. And it distracts your mind from the Lord. And you become consumed with the things of this world turns your heart away from God. Every day, you have to learn to pray, God, don't let me be overcome or consumed with the things of this world today. Sanctify, sanctify me from this society. Sanctify me from a desire for the things of this world. Um, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15, the, Jesus, or the, the Bible tells us here, love not the world neither the things that are in the world. Because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is impossible to love this world and to love God as you should simultaneously. Let's be honest, it's very easy to get drawn in to love for the things of this world. Music, it's activities, it's culture, it's commodities, it's movies. Um, and I can go on and on down the line. How easily our hearts are led away from the Lord because we do not live sanctified lives. Something I pray every day. 
Well, show me if there's any area of my life that I have come over-consumed with the things of this world in so that my life can truly be yours. Right? That's the emphasis of this prayer. Lord, sanctify me from this society. God did not leave us on this world to blend in. He left us on this world to stand out. He wants us to be his light shining to this, light, to this lost world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And uh, we cannot do that so long as we're hiding in the darkness of this world. And uh, there needs to be a difference, and he is the difference. Uh, we have to let his light shine through us as believers. And so I pray, Lord, sanctify me from this wicked society. And, uh, you know, let me just give you a practical illustration because I don't know if this is coming across clearly. Um, I remember when I first became a pastor, I had always loved playing um, uh, uh, fantasy football. Have you guys ever heard of that before? How many of you guys have ever done that before? Okay. I'm a super competitive person, all right? Sunday is a pretty big day for a pastor, right? It's also a pretty big day for fantasy football. And I'll tell you when the Lord convicted my heart, and I'm not proud to admit that, to admit this, but uh, I remember one Sunday I was getting ready to walk in for the service, and I thought, oh, I wonder how my team's doing. And I pulled out my phone, and before I could even check what the score was, the Lord said, you're a fool. <laughs> what are you doing? You're getting ready to go in and lead in worship and preach my word. Why do you care about that? And that's when the Lord taught me why every, every day I really needed seek the Lord on this particular area. It's very easy to get over-consumed. Some of you might be the news that's drowning out the voice of God from your life. You are just consumed with watching it, finding out what's going on in this world. Ten years ago, I stopped watching the news. You say, well, how do you know what's going on? I haven't had a problem with figuring it out. <laughs> it's significant, right? And uh, I, it, it really has helped my life significantly. Drown out some of those voices out of my life. Now, do what you, you do what the Lord leads you to do with those kinds of things. I just have given you an example of where I struggled in this area. And there may be a struggle you're facing as well. Well, you're getting a little too overconsumed with the things of this world. You need to pray, Lord, help me today to know how to set myself apart from this world and really give my heart and life to you. Sanctify me from this society. Here's the final prayer that I pray every day and will be done. Now, before I even give you what this one is, think about this with me. The Lord has taught me this as I have prayed every day. I pray, Lord, empty me of self. I want my life to be emptied of anything that would rob the Spirit of God from having total control of my life. I pray, Lord, empty me of self. There's one factor. Cleanse me from sin. There could be another factor that's keeping God from having full control of my life. Deliver me from evil. Another thing that could draw my heart away from the Lord. Sanctify me from this society. Another thing that could draw my focus away from the Lord. And having prayed all those other prayers, I pray then, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. <clears throat> now, Jesus promised us that he would send his spirit to, an, to empower us and direct us on a daily basis as believers. Um, you're in John, I think you're in John 17. Go to John chapter 14 and look at where Jesus first promised this in John chapter 14 and verse 16, where the Bible says, Jesus speaking, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knoweth him, 
but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And Jesus indicated that the Spirit was going to be in us and going to give us the empowerment we need to live the Christian life. And so we need to pray every day for the complete filling of the Holy Spirit of God. I have a cup up here today, right? Um, Got just a little bit left in there, all right? So would you consider this cup to be full or empty? I've given this illustration before, so some of you are like, I know where you're going with this, Pastor. It's almost empty of whatever this um, medicinal thing was my wife put in here, okay? (laughs) To help out my voice. It's almost empty of that, but it's still full. You know what it's full of? Air. Life is full of something every day. You're full of the Spirit of God, full of something else. Men, self, world, full of something. Point is, every day I want to pray that I can get to a place where God's the one that's filling my life. God's the one that is controlling my life. And uh, that's an important thing for us to understand. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I love asking kids questions. And this question in particular is really interesting to see what kids have to say about what they think it means to be filled with the Spirit. I wonder if you could define for me what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Um, Jesus promised that he would indwell us with his Spirit, but being indwelled by the Spirit at salvation is much different from being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis as believers. We're not filled with the Spirit just because you're saved and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You understand that? Spirit lives inside of you if you are a believer. You're sealed with the Spirit of God, Ephesians 1 teaches. In Ephesians 4 and in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, they all teach us about the indwelling of the Spirit of God, but on any given day, that doesn't mean that your life is being filled with the Spirit. Well, probably the best example of this given to us in the Scripture, and this is the final place that I'll have you go, is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in verse number 18. Let's read this verse out loud together. Ephesians 5 in verse 18. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Verse 18, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word there for be filled is in a voice intense in Greek language that indicates that you need to be being filled. Something that happens, in other words, on a a, a continual basis and on a passive basis. You don't fill yourself with the Spirit. You allow God to fill you with the Spirit. But it's something that takes place on a continual basis. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Of course, the example here is one that we can relate to, hopefully not all of us by personal experience. But when a person is filled with alcohol, look at that person and say that they have become under the what? Influence. What does that mean? Well, they are being controlled by something else, not themselves. Under the influence of another force. That's why alcohol is often referred to as spirits. And uh, I could take a long time and talk about alcohol tonight. You all know how I feel about alcohol, okay? And this is one of the very reasons why I believe the Bible is against any drinking of alcohol. But 
<clears throat> and alcohol, when a man is filled with alcohol, it, it, it changes, um, it, it, it controls him, in other words. It influences his life. That's how you and I, being filled with the Spirit of God, is supposed to impact our life as well. We become under the influence of God's Spirit. And so every word that's spoken, every action that is taken, is under His influence. I tell you what, how would your life be changed if you go to work tomorrow under the influence of the Spirit of God? Right? Now, don't go to work tomorrow and say, Pastor said I had to come in under the influence. Okay? Unless you're going to explain under the influence of the Spirit of God. How would your home change? Convicting for me, too. How would your home change if you lived in your home under the influence of the Spirit of God? Talk to your wife a little differently. Talk to your kids a little differently. You might, it might change a lot. You are being controlled by the Spirit of God. Point in all of this is that there's no way you can say you're filled with the Spirit. You're allowing one of these other four factors we've talked about to have control in your life. That's why I pray, Lord, would you empty me of self? Don't let me try to take the reins of my life again. That, that, that old man is dead and gone, and now I'm living for you, and it's your life, it's your power. Lord, cleanse me of sin. Don't let sin keep me from accessing your power, your presence. Cleanse me of any sin. If there's anything that shouldn't be there, that is turning my heart away from you, Lord, show it to me, and I'll, and I'll turn from it. Pray, Lord, uh, deliver me from Satan and his influence. And... Uh, Gird me about with your armor. Let me stand in you and your might so he doesn't have control or influence to turn my life away from you today. I pray, Lord, would you sanctify me from this society so that this world doesn't pull my focus away or astray from you. And in praying all those prayers, I am finally able to say, Lord, I'm empty of all this other stuff. I'm cleansed of all, all this other stuff. Now, Lord, you fill my life. The parable Jesus gave in the New Testament but a man who got some demons cast out of his life. They went away for a season, and then they came back, and they found the man, speaking of the inside of the man's life, he found his house swept and garnished and empty. So the, that spirit went and got seven other spirits and came back, and, the, and Jesus said the last state of that man was worse than the first. Now, I'm not indicating that we can be demon-possessed as believers here. I just want to pull the principle out of that and say... The fact of the matter is, you can ask the Lord to cleanse your life and empty your life of these other things. If in the same breath you're not asking the Lord to fill what has been voided, something else will. The point of this praying these kinds of prayers is so that no other influence has dominant force in your life, that God can have the dominant influence in your life. You learn how to pray a prayer like this every day, it will impact your life. I've summarized it in five statements because this is easy for me to pray and think about in my head daily. Lord, Lord, empty me of self. Lord, cleanse me from sin. Lord, deliver me from Satan. Lord, sanctify me from this society. Lord, fill me with your spirit today so that my life can be all about what you want me to do today. The prayer that I pray every day. You, not, you may not pray this exact prayer every day, but perhaps God would help your prayer life grow in some way by learning these principles here tonight. The point is, Jesus told us, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, flesh is willing, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, he said. You can have a willing spirit to want to live for God, but you also got to understand you have a weak flesh, and every day you need to turn to God in prayer. 
can begin to experience a victory that God intended for you to have on a daily basis. Let's bow our heads together and close our eyes.